and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. As longtime listeners know, and perhaps first-time listeners will learn, each and every week, a guest and I discuss the weekly portion that is read in synagogues throughout the world. The Hebrew Bible, known as Tanakh, is divided into 54 parashiot, uh, 54 weekly readings, which accommodates the unique uh, Hebrew calendar, an amalgam of a solar and lunar calendar. Uh, in some years, there is an extra month, uh, which accommodates the need <clears throat> for Jewish festivals to be in the right season. And in some years, Jewish festivals uh, fall on Shabbat, and the weekly portion is superseded by the holiday portion. This week, throughout the Jewish world, uh, congregations are reading a parasha known as Vayigash. It begins in Genesis 44:18 and continues through Genesis 47, verse 27, and it's the penultimate. Uh, portion regarding the Joseph saga. Joseph and his brothers have been the focus of the last three weeks. We have one more week of uh, Joseph's story, and that will conclude next week the uh, book of Genesis. But this week, our story is just chock full of interesting episodes and verbiage which my guest and I will try and unpack. Let me give you an overview. Judah returns to Egypt um, and approaches Joseph to plead for the release of Benjamin, the youngest son, offering himself as a slave to the Egyptian ruler in Benjamin's place. Upon witnessing his brother's loyalty to one another, Joseph reveals his identity to them and declares, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? The brothers are overcome by shame and remorse, but Joseph comforts them. The text tells us that his response to them is, It was not you who sent me here, but God. It has always been ordained from above to save us, and the entire region from famine. The brothers then return to Canaan with the news that Joseph is alive, and Jacob, the patriarch of the family, comes to Egypt with his sons and their entire family. The text tells us 70 souls in all, and is reunited with his beloved youngest son, although Benjamin was born after Joseph, uh, after 22 years, on his way to Egypt, he receives the divine promise, Fear not to go down to Egypt, for I will be there and make of you a great nation. I will go down with you into Egypt, and I will surely bring you up again. Perhaps a foreshadowing of events in the book of Exodus. 
Joseph gathers the wealth of Egypt by selling food and seed during the famine. And Pharaoh gives Jacob's family the fertile land of Goshen to settle. And the text tells us that the children of Israel <laughs> prosper in their Egyptian exile. My guest this morning is Rabbi Neil Borovitz, who was elected Rabbi Emeritus of Temple Avodat Shalom in River Edge, New Jersey, in June of 2013, after serving the synagogue as congregational rabbi for the previous 25 years. Prior to assuming that pulpit in River Edge, Rabbi Borovitz served as a Hillel rabbi and instructor in biblical and religious studies at the University of Texas in Austin. He also served as executive director of the Labor Zionist Alliance in the United States and as rabbi of Union Temple in Brooklyn, New York. Rabbi Borovitz is a native of Cleveland, Ohio, though he received his BA from Vanderbilt University in uh, New Orleans. And Nashville. In uh, Memphis, yes? Nas Nashville. Nashville. Uh, and uh, an MA from Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion and was ordained there as a rabbi in June of 1975. In March of 2000, he was awarded an honorary doctorate of divinity from his seminary, Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion. Rabbi Borovitz, it's a pleasure to uh, welcome you back to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Thank you. It's it's wonderful uh, to have another opportunity to have a discussion with you of Torah, Steve. Um, so let's begin where we um, suggested we would begin, and that is right at the start with the word Vayigash. Um, some of our listeners know that the Hebrew <coughs> name for Torah portions usually, but not always, but usually emerges from either the first or second word of the Torah portion. Our Torah portion called Vayigash reads in Hebrew, Vayigash Elav Yehuda, Vayomer Bi Adonai. Then Judah came near unto him and said, so let's begin with that term, Vayigash. Um, you see some interesting meaning behind the choice of that term. Uh, yes, because uh, according to uh, a Midrash, a rabbinic commentary uh, on the Bible, uh, in Midrash, uh, in Bereshit Rabbah, the uh, comment commentaries on the book of Genesis, uh, they note, the rabbis note that uh, the term Vayigash is used in three other places uh, in, uh, in, the, in the Bible, actually in, in the second section of Tanakh, Torah, Prophets, and in Writings. In Prophets, in 2 Samuel, uh, we're told Vayigash Yoav Baha'am Asher Imo Lemilchama. Yoav, who is one of uh, David's generals, and the people approached ready to do battle. In Joshua 14, 16, we read Vayigshu Vene Yehuda El Yehoshua, and the children of Judah approached Joshua there 
it means to seek reconciliation. And in 1 Kings 18, uh, we're told about Elijah the prophet, Vayigash Eliyahu Anavi, Vayomer, and God, and Elijah the prophet approached God, and there it means in prayer. So and, I just want to remind our listeners um, about the brilliance of interpretation by the ancient rabbis. What Rabbi Borowitz has shared with you is uh, four episodes in which the same verb is used in a similar uh, grammatical form. And in each of those cases, there appears to be a different intentionality of the text. And so now, with that background in mind, the rabbis want to understand how we might know what Vayigash Elav means in our parasha. And so can you take it from there, Rabbi Borovitz? Yes. So the, uh, the rabbis in, uh, uh, in Genesis Rabbi, in this uh, Midrash, uh, say that it means all three. That Judah <clears throat> approaches, you know, his disguised brother. He, he's approaching uh, the second to Pharaoh in Egypt, uh, ready to do battle if necessary to redeem his brother. Uh, but he's also approaching him with the hope of reconciliation, of finding a peaceful resolution uh, through which he can uh, free Benjamin. Uh, and he's also uh, approaching, the rabbis want us to believe, like Elijah the prophet, uh, as a messenger of God, uh, praying to God for success. And what makes it really fascinating uh, to me is this is the classic story of sibling rivalry. And it really is here at the end of Genesis, I believe the answer to the question uh, that Cain raises in the opening of, uh, of the book of Genesis. Uh, Cain asks, am I my brother's keeper? Am I And here it clearly is Judah saying, yes, I am my brother's keeper. I have, I am responsible for the fate of my brother. And uh, I'm going to do whatever I can. And the fact is that uh, when we have conflicts and we're approaching people who are our enemies, uh, to me, it's one of the most contemporary issues uh, that we face today in the world and in our own community. Uh, how do we approach other people when, when there's a conflict, when there's disagreement? Uh, are there times when we have to literally stand up and be willing to do battle against, uh, uh, against enemies? Uh, yes. But is our hope that we can, uh, find a means of reconciliation and, and peaceful, uh, uh, accommodation, uh, with those with whom we disagree? And where does God play a role, uh, in all of that? And it's, to me, it's the opposite of, uh, of an issue that I've been thinking a lot about, uh, how uh, there's a, a concept in Judaism uh, called sinat chinam, 
uh, which uh, is uh, unjustified uh, hatred. Hey, what? Go ahead. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, unjustifiable hatred. And, you know, we live in a world today uh, where uh, you're either with me or against me. And people with differing opinions uh, don't agree to agree disagreeably. They don't even agree to the same facts. You can have different opinions, but how do you look at the, at the facts? And here uh, we find brothers who had been separated for 22 years, uh, who had fabricated the death of, uh, of their brother having to face him unknowingly. Uh, and the test that Joseph is uh, is uh, giving to his brothers is, listen, uh, you, you threw me into a pit and you abandoned me. Uh, well, what are you going to do now with, uh, uh, with your uh, other young brother, Benjamin? Are you going to stand up for him or are you going to repeat the mistakes of the past? That's a lovely reading of it. I want to push you a little bit on this. Um, the Joseph story often seems to be uh, a harbinger of the past with <clears throat> regard to the father in this, the patriarch in this story, uh, Jacob. And we know that Jacob has to have a reconciliation with his brother Esau. And in the story of Esau um, and the reconciliation, Jacob seems to believe that Jacob, that Esau wants to have war. Um, and he sends his family away before he comes to see Esau. And I want to pose the following question to you, because it strikes me as fascinating the way the Torah does this. Esau, of course, is the brother who will not have the birthright. And Esau will be seen as the progenitor of the nation called Edom, which for the rabbis was perhaps the preeminent enemy. <clears throat> Joseph also is not going to inherit um, a birthright to the degree that there's no tribe named after Joseph. Um, and Joseph lived um, 22 years, not as part of the covenantal people. So I'm wondering if the Torah intentionally or unintentionally uses these um, non-Israelite um, uh, individuals as foils to teach a lesson that seems to be difficult for the Israelites. Do you follow my reasoning? Yes, yes, yes. No, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, our, uh, our friend and teacher, Norman Cohn, uh, in his uh, book on uh, uh, family conflicts in Genesis, uh, you know, uh, plays out how all of these are paradigms, uh, universal paradigms for uh, 
familial conflicts. Uh, and and I think that that's absolutely true. One of the things that I was thinking about as you were speaking is the Haftorah, the prophetic reading uh, assigned for this week's uh, uh, to this week's Torah portion comes from the prophet Ezekiel. Uh, and it's uh, it comes from a passage that many of your listeners uh, will be familiar with uh, of uh, uh, Ezekiel 37, uh, which them the opening bones, part bones is and dry bones. Dry, right. But the portion that we read this week comes later. And it comes uh, and it talks about uh, the reconciliation uh, of the whole fort reconciliation of the Joseph tribes uh, and the Judah tribes. And Joseph is uh, saying, because uh, his son Ephraim, that does become a tribe, is the leading tribe of the northern kingdom of Israel after the Solomonic split and, uh, and Judah, and that ultimately they'll be grafted back together. Uh, and to me, one of the things this reminds me of uh, as as a Jew uh, is we have different tribes today. You know, today we call them uh, Israeli and America, uh, North American, the two major centers of Jewish life in the world today, or Orthodox, conservative, reform, uh, secular, different different groups. Do we have a right to our own identity, individual identity and family or group identity and still feel part of a larger community? It's true in Christianity. Look at the all of the different forms of Christianity from the uh, Greek Orthodox and Russian Orthodox uh, and Catholic churches uh, to uh, the multiplicity of Protestant denominations. Uh, but is there something that, that binds all of them together. And ultimately, uh, what what Ezekiel and and later Zechariah in particular teach us uh, is that eventually in the Messianic age, all of us will come to understand that uh, there is one God uh, and that even if we come to that God along different paths, uh, that ultimately... uh, the hope is that by Yom Zechariah says, uh, ultimately uh, there will come a day uh, when all will acknowledge the oneness of God, uh, and essence, and acknowledge uh, the brotherhood and sisterhood of all human uh, humankind. So, so I think this is a, an example, and ultimately this becomes a, a setting for uh, the hope for return. But this is the first major. Di- diaspora community. Uh, so Jews, can Jews live outside, can create a Jewish life for themselves outside the land of Israel? So you've segued into an interesting part of the portion, which seems to be God telling the Israelites, you're going to go down to the land. You're going to prosper. Um, and as I have brought you into this land, I will bring you out of this land. And while you've been making these connections between the biblical text and uh, the modern Jewish experience or the modern human experience, 
there is something that calls out to the reader, and that is the Israelites go to Egypt and they prosper. Um, but it's not clear how much they um, retain committed to the covenantal faith um, of their ancestors. Um, and that uh, the commentators, as well as the text itself, seem to allude that in their prosperity, they perhaps became more Egyptian um, than they were uh, Israelite. Um, and I'm wondering, with this kind of foreshadowing in this week's parasha, is the Torah suggesting to the reader who would read this every week with Ezekiel, who is speaking about the resurrection of the Jewish people and the Messianic age, is there a hint there that before you can have um, the redemption, you have to have the experience of the Exodus? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, I, I I think uh, I, I I agree with you. Uh, I also think that the uh, it it also speaks of the the challenge of acculturation versus assimilation. Oh, that's, uh, a, great, that's a great distinction. Can you spend a few minutes uh, sharing sure. with our readers how you understand the distinction? All right. So assimilation is I just lose, I give up my my individualized identity I just meld into the the general population uh, and uh, acculturation means I learn to uh, be part of being an American or being being a Canadian but retain my uh, my Jewish identity as well uh, that uh, uh, I believe that uh, when uh, Mario Cuomo uh, used to identify himself as an Italian-American Catholic. Uh, he was talking about his ethnicity, his faith, and his nationality, his citizenship. Uh, and when I define myself as an American Jew, I'm saying the same thing, because uh, Judaism is both my ethnic as well as my religious identity. And uh and I think it's a uh, or a Canadian Jew, and I would say those are compound nouns. It's not American isn't the adjective and Jewish isn't the adjective, but it's a compound noun. Well, uh, I, and I mean, so, of, of so there are there are individuals who see one identity superseding the other, right? Um, and that they hold that singular identity above all other responsibility. Um, interestingly enough, um, our hero of this week's Torah portion, Joseph, it's unclear what his identity is. Um, he marries an Egyptian. Um, the names of his children, Manasha and Ephraim, the text tells us are Egyptian names. And so we don't know whether he has this duality of identity. Um, and perhaps that's why 
um, there isn't a tribe of Joseph. Um, and so, as you've correctly indicated, this Torah portion, which begins with how does one create reconciliation, then proceeds to speak about the nature of living in two worlds. Right. Um, the Israelites, Jacob's sons, come from Canaan for a uh, physical salvation in Egypt. That's what the text tells us. You will be fed during the time of famine. Uh, but the insertion of that uh, verse about God's redemption seems to suggest that you um, can't lose the spiritual redemption for the physical redemption. Uh, right. And in next week's Torah reading, Jacob will appeal to Joseph uh, to bury uh you know, to bury him back in the land of Israel, thinking, well, at least I'll come back to visit my grave. Right. And uh, uh, and then Joseph, actually, when he dies, will make the same plea. Uh, and where Joseph actually takes care of burying his father in the land of Israel, it's going to be 430 years uh, until uh, Joseph's bones uh, are brought back to uh, the land of Israel. In the few minutes that's left to us, do you find it interesting that it's Judah to whom the word by Yigash is applied as opposed to any of the other sons? Well, I think that uh, it, to me, it's, it, it's an example of, of Judah's tshuva, of his repentance. Judah had good intentions back uh, in the beginning of the Joseph story. You know, he said, don't kill him, throw him in a pit. And he was going to go back and he was going to uh, pull him out of the pit and, and and take care of him. And lo and behold, somebody, you know, we have this story uh, that makes no sense uh, of who sold Joseph to whom, et cetera, the Ishmaelites, uh, the, did the brothers do something? Uh, and so Judah has been living with the guilt uh, for 22 years uh, of what what he didn't do to save Joseph. And now he knows he's he's getting a second chance to save a brother from captivity. And therefore he appeals, uh, he he pleads, he's ready, he's ready to do battle, he's ready to to sacrifice himself uh to uh to save uh to save Benjamin. So I think that it's uh and Joseph uh Joseph remains Joseph as you said in the uh indicated in the opening. Uh he's still an arrogant self-righteous guy, you know. As he but, was at 17. As he was at 17, as he was when his father gave him the uh uh the Technicolor dream coat, you know, made a good Broadway show out of it. <laughs> uh but uh, he's, uh, but all of a sudden, there's also this, and I think that's one of the lessons we can take. Inside each of us, underneath our selfishness, there can be a selflessness, uh, and there can be a concern for the other, uh, and uh, and that's why I sort of tie it back in my head to to Cain, 
uh, I think the whole Bible uh, and all of Judaism and Christianity as they have evolved over uh, the, uh, the, the millennium are an answer to the question of Cain. We are our brother's keeper. We're responsible for each other. My guest this morning has been uh, Rabbi Emeritus uh, Neil Borovitz. I want to thank him for sharing his wisdom with us this morning. You can hear a podcast of this episode on iTunes or on the chri.ca website. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten, wishing you shalom and a good day. Shalom.